Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Krutya <laughs> The Srimad Bhagavatam states itself in the Bhagavatam in, I believe, the 12th canto that Nimnaganam yata ganga devanam achito yata vaishnavanam yata shambhuf purananam idantata that just as the Ganga is the best of all the winding rivers and Achuta, Krishna, is the best of all the devas he is the, the lord of all lords and Shiva is the greatest of devotees which is interesting because in other places there are other devotees listed as the greatest of devotees. There's different categories of devotees. That's a whole other topic. But he said, Bhagavatam says this, like these things are the best of their category, this Bhagavatam is the best of all Puranas. It's the best. And we just finished the third canto the day before yesterday. So this is really exciting. We're starting the fourth canto today. I'm actually kind of really hyped to be giving class. I mean, I've been here since... Um, April of 2014, we were on the third or second or third last chapter of the first canto. So we finished the first canto, second, third, which is big. The third canto is big. It's two volumes like this. Fourth canto is also big. So we're doing like a chapter every month and a half or something. Yeah, let's let's give it up for all the speakers of Bhagavatam and the Bhagavatam itself. Haribol, Jai. And so this is, we're going to read this volume probably for the next, oh, I don't know, a year? Yeah. <laughs> so two years from now, we'll, we'll be on the fifth canto. Unless we accelerate, which we can do. We've talked about doing that. <laughs> anyway, it's exciting either way. It's a big deal. This is a, really, this is a really mystical canto. It's one of my favorites. It's one canto that I think I need to explore more. So Krishna is very mercifully reciprocating. So, first verse, first chapter. The canto is called The Creation of the Fourth Order. Does anybody know what the Fourth Order refers to? Bhagavad Prabhu? My understanding is that it refers to the sannyas, the Fourth Order, the creation of the Fourth Order, the Fourth Order of Life in the ashram system. I'm sure that in the purports, in the next two years, we'll get the answer. So stay tuned. Chapter 1, Genealogical Table of the Daughters of Manu. Text 1. I was thinking also, if somebody wants to give a class sometime on the preface, that would be pretty cool. Because this preface by Srila Prabhupada is just the sweetest nectar. 
it talks about his purpose in, in translating Bhagavatam. And it's, uh, it's not exactly a verse in purport, but it's kind of a purport on his whole mission, in a way. It's about two pages long. I thought about doing that, but I don't think I'm qualified. Maybe if Balgopal wants to do wants to do it tomorrow. Just an idea. Anybody can do it. Anyway, first verse. Maitre uvace Manos Tu Shatrupayam Tisra Kanyash Ch Jaknire Akutir Devahutish Ch Pasutir Iti Vishrutaha Maitre Uvacha Manos to Shatarupayam Tesrahkanyascha Jagnire Akutir Devahutishcha Pasutir Eti Vishrutaha Maitre Uvacha Manos to Shatarupayam Tisrakanyascha Jagnire Akutir Devahutishcha Pasutir Iti Vishrutaha Maitre Uvacha Manos to Shatarupayam Tisrakanyascha Jagnire Akutir Devahutishcha Pasutir Iti Vishrutaha Anyone else? Last chance. Word for word. Maitreya Uvacha. The great sage Maitreya said. Manohotu of Swayambhuva Manu Shatarupayam in his wife Shatarupa Tisraha three 
Kunyacha, daughters also, Jagnire gave birth, Akutehe named Akuti, Devahutehe named Devahuti, Cha also, Prasutehe named Prasuti, Ite thus. Vishrutaha, well known. Srila Prabhupada's translation, Srila Prabhupada's purport, ki jai. Translation, Sri Maitreya said, Svayam Bhuvamanu begot three daughters in his wife, Shatrupa, and their names were Akuti, Devahuti, and Prasuti. So we heard about Devahuti extensively in the last part of the third canto, and now we're picking up with, uh, well, the family and her sisters. Srila Prabhupada's purport. First of all, let us offer our respectful obeisances unto our spiritual master, Om Vishnupad, Sri Srimad Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati, Goswami Prabhupada, by whose order I am engaged in this Herculean task of writing commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam as the Bhaktivedanta purports. Can someone look up the word Herculean? It's a great word. By whose order I am engaged in this Herculean task of writing commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam as the Bhaktivedanta purports. By His grace, we have finished three cantos already. And we are just trying to begin the fourth canto. By His divine grace, let us offer our respectful obeisances unto Lord Chaitanya, who began this Krishna consciousness movement of Bhagavata Dharma 500 years ago. And through His grace, let us offer our obeisances to the six Goswamis. And then let us offer our obeisances to Radha and Krishna, the spiritual couple who enjoy eternally in Vrindavana with their coward boys and damsels in Vrajbhumi. Let us also offer our respectful obeisances to all the devotees and eternal servitors of the Supreme Lord. In this fourth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, there are 31 chapters, and all these chapters describe the secondary creation by Brahma and the Manus. The Supreme Lord himself does the real creation by agitating his material energy. And then by his order, Brahma, the first living creature in the universe, attempts to create the different planetary systems and their inhabitants, expanding the population through his progeny, like Manu and other progenitors of living entities who work perpetually under the order of the Supreme Lord. In the first chapter of this fourth canto, there are descriptions of the three daughters of Svayam Manu and their descendants. The next six chapters describe the sacrifice performed by King Daksha and how it was spoiled. Thereafter, the activities of Maharaj Truva are described in five chapters. Then in 11 chapters, the activities of King Prithu are described. And the next eight chapters are devoted to the activities of the Pracheta kings. As described in the first verse of this chapter, Svayam Bhuvamanu had three daughters named Akuti, Devahuti, and Prasuti. Of these three daughters, one daughter, Devahuti, has already been described, along with her husband. Who's her husband? Kardamamuni and her son, Kapilamuni. In this chapter, the descendants of the first daughter, Akuti, will specifically be described. So we heard the descendants of the second daughter first, Devahuti. She had actually something like nine daughters, and they were all married off to various Prajapatis. This is early in the creation. And then she had Kapiladeva, and we heard about her saga of becoming self-realized by being the mother, actually, of a an incarnation of God. Now the first daughter. 
In this chapter, the descendants of the first daughter, Akuti, will specifically be described. Svayambhuvamanu was the son of Brahma. Brahma had many other sons, but Manu's name is specifically mentioned first because he was a great devotee of the Lord. In this verse, there is also the word cha, indicating that besides the three daughters mentioned, Svayambhuvamanu also had two sons. Jai. Can we get a definition on Herculean? Nick is uh, he's on the hard copy, and I'm biased towards hard copy, so I'm going to say that the hard copy won the race, even if it didn't. So there are two definitions. The first one is related to the characteristic of Hercules, and the second Hercules or Popeye's assumed is extraordinary power, extent, intensity, or difficulty. Jai. So this Prabhupada considered this task of writing commentary on the Bhagavatam as requiring extraordinary power and being of intense difficulty. Hare Krishna. Om Jnana Timirandhasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Chaitanya Manopishtam Stapitam Yena Putare Svayam Rupah Kada Mahyam Dadatis Vapadantikam Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuta Padakamanam Shri Gurun Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Rakhanatan Vitam Tam Sajivam Sadvaitam Savathutam Padijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalata Shri Vishakhanditamscha Hey Krishna Karuna Sandho Dina Bantho Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Ratha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Rathe Vrindavaneshwari Vrushapana Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vanchakalpatarupyascha Kripasantupya Evacha Patitana Pavane Pyo Vaishnave Pyo Namo Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhara Shri Vasadi Gaura Pakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Maitre Uvacha Manostushatarupa yam tisra kanyascha jagnire akutir devahu tischa prasutir iti vishrutaha. Hare Krishna. So if you'll all extend your blessings, then I will also attempt the Herculean task of giving even one class on this Bhagavatam. Hare Krishna. I'm taking that as yes. Jai. So. What a beautiful purport. Prabhupada starts by honoring his spiritual master. And he says, by his mercy, we're approaching this task. And by his mercy, we're approaching Lord Chaitanya. And then through him, the six Goswamis, and through them, Radha Govinda, who are always enjoying the groves of Vrindavan. And then he gives us a summary of the fourth canto by chunks. There is a series of leelas in the fourth canto. And he tells us that this first chapter is genealogy. And it's interesting because I was, uh, I was preparing for this class and I think I was discussing with devotees yesterday 
that, wow, we're going to start the fourth canto. This is really exciting. How does the fourth canto start? We're thinking, well, there's the whole Shiva Daksha thing, but there's a chapter before that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's genealogy. There's a genealogy chapter. And some of us, myself included, were like, oh, genealogy. That's good. <laughs> because the Bhagavatam is replete with, um, with uh, lists of, of names, historical personalities. And they're actually all very important persons. And I wanted to talk about that. And then this purport came, and I felt like it was a perfect uh, arrangement, because I think that Prabhupada is demonstrating a very beautiful truth about Bhagavad Dharma, which um, is echoed throughout the Bhagavatam in the Lila and in the philosophy and in Prabhupada's purports, and it's right here at the beginning. And I think that I'm going to mention the structure of Prabhupada's um, and the principle of his Mangalacharana, his, his taking obeisances of the devotees, actually, before beginning. And then we're going to go into a little bit about the overview of the fourth canto. Not that much, just, just in general. So, we see that Prabhupada, he's, um, anybody can read this purport, first of all, and just get a sense of Prabhupada's humility, because uh, we don't even really need to know anything about him as a person, but just seeing how he's beginning by paying obeisances to a spiritual master with great care and attention. Bandomui Savadhana Mate, I offer my respectful obeisances with great care and attention. Nartam Das Thakur sings. This is the, the mood. It's like uh, one time Srila Prabhupada noted that a disciple was, upon seeing Srila Prabhupada, would pay his obeisances in what I think Prabhupada called like a wood chopping method. His head was like down and up, super fast, and it was quite perfunctory. It wasn't really like he was putting his heart into it. It was like, this is the thing that I do with my body this time. Done. And Prabhupada said, this is not good. And uh, I've heard, I don't know if this is actually true, that sooner uh, rather than later, that devotee actually happened to leave the movement. <laughs> but um, Prabhupada noted that things should be done with care and attention. And of course, that's the essence of everything we're doing. We're trying to offer things with love. It doesn't matter how great the form is. It doesn't matter if there are so many mistakes. If the intent is actually to please Krishna and the devotees, that's accepted. But if the intent is otherwise, it doesn't actually, again, doesn't matter what the form is because Krishna won't accept it. And if he doesn't accept it, it's useless. So Prabhupada, actually in his preface, he says the same thing, that um, there are so many faults in this presentation. English isn't my first language. He alludes to that there, there could be so many grammatical inconsistencies. But the Bhagavatam itself says, This Bhagavatam actually is appreciated by saintly persons. Because even in irregularly composed literature, if it's designed to actually glorify the Lord, it's all glorious. And anything else is just like a pilgrimage place for crows. It's where dirty animals go, and the pure living entities don't actually care about it. They don't care about those descriptions. So Prabhupada says, I hope that the readers will actually forgive me for my mistakes, because we're just trying to glorify Krishna. And he's got the same mood. He's approaching his spiritual masters and saying, basically saying, I'm trying. Please help me. So many faults here. I hope you'll help me. I hope that the readers will bless me. Kaviraj Goswami is very notable for this too throughout the Chaitanya Charitamrita. He pauses his ecstatic description of Lord Chaitanya's Leela to actually, at a couple of different points, literally pay obeisances to all of his readers. He'll say, I now pay obeisances to everyone who's reading this verse. Please bless me so that I can continue. It's so ecstatic. 
So we can understand that about Prabhupada just by reading this purport. It becomes amplified when we actually see that in studying Prabhupada's character, he was monumentally empowered. He was a monumentally empowered personality. He's begging for help. He clearly received it because nobody could do anything like what Srila Prabhupada did without serious, serious empowerment. And yet his mood is one of constant obeisances. Um, in order to actually function in one's role as a devotee, one um, can't one, one can't help but take shelter of the previous acharyas and the devotees, but at the same time, Prabhupada doesn't literally write this purport out, every purport, although he could. You know, he has to do his business of translating and explaining the philosophy and giving lessons. But what's notable here is that he's using this beginning point. He does this a few times. The beginning points of chapters and especially of cantos to actually formally show what's going on internally all the time. The pure devotee is always taking shelter of their spiritual master. It's not that um, they're driving their car and they hit some black eyes and they go, Oh Krishna, as they're driving, hitting the curb, you know. It's not that when they have a heart attack, then they're thinking only of Krishna. That's for mixed devotees. That we call out to Krishna when things, the fires turn up a little bit, then the preparation starts to cook. But for the pure devotees, they are always situated like this. And this is just a natural point at which they can, he, he can show us that mentality. And um, so I read this purport and I went back to the ashram to, to study a little bit on the previous acharyas, what they had to say on this. And I read Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's purport. And, you know, anybody who's read Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's purports, um, which, by the way, after you've read Prabhupada's Bhagavatam a few times, I highly recommend them. They're so important. They're seminal. Very, very... Um, one thing is you can see Prabhupada, his, obe his obeisances and his obedience to the previous acharyas, especially through Vishwanath, who he, he considers the most uh, extensive commentator on Bhagavatam. He quotes from him more than any other. And you get a lot of very special personal realization of Vishwanath that way. So I always, I always, I would say I often see um, glimpses of what Prabhupada is drawing from Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. In this purport, literally everything is word for word what Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur said, with the exception of the obeisances to Bhaktisiddhanta. I was, I was floored. The order is the same. The length is the same. Practically, the, the, the translation from Sanskrit to English by Pandaswami is the same as Prabhupada's own English here. It was so, it was so touching. Prabhupada doesn't even bother to create his own uh, structure of a Mangalachana. He just takes what Vishwanath did. He offers obeisances to Mahaprabhu, the six Goswamis, Radha Krishna, all the devotees of the Lord. Then he lists the chapters in the Bhagavatam by section. Then he describes Swayambhavman who had three daughters, one we've already heard about. Now we'll hear about Akuti. He describes that Cha means that in the verse, Akuti um, Devakutish Cha implies the other kids of Swayambhavman, the two sons, who are also very important devotee, devotees. Uttanapad, and I think um, Priyavrata, yeah. Uttanapad comes later in the fourth canto, and Priyavrata in the beginning of the fifth. And uh, he points out that um, Mana, Manu is one of the sons of Brahma, and Brahma had so many sons, so why we're hearing about Manu? The reason is because he was a great devotee. And that's exactly what Prabhupada says. So Prabhupada doesn't try to reinvent the wheel. 
he just finds the, something very valuable in Vishwanath's purport and he echoes it with, uh, with, with sincere intention. Literally the only thing I could find of any difference in the whole purport, which is an extensive purport, it's almost over a page long, was the obeisances to Srila Bhakti Siddhanta. And I was thinking, this is the point. The point is that this is an eternal science. This is actually an eternal science. The, the science of taking shelter of devotees is eternally the same. It was the same uh, in so-called ancient times. It was the same today. It's, it was the same in different yugas. It'll be the same on different planets. It'll be the same in different languages. It's the same no matter what you wear. It's the same. It's just, it's, it's, it's a science. It actually works. All the way back to the Satya Yuga, which this is describing, and all the way back to Krishna's lotus feet. So I felt um, very protected at that point because I thought, well, I'm in the parampara if I choose to take shelter. If I actually choose to embrace the lotus feet of my spiritual master, this exact same science that Prabhupada is calling on, the word invocation means to call forth, right? To bring out, invoke uh, from invocare, the Latin, which is from Sanskrit. Vak means speech. Vak is one of the daughters of Brahma, by the way. And uh, you're calling forth. You're actually addressing persons to, to bring forth their mercy. So if one actually invokes the previous Acharyas today, in 2020, you know, May 25th, Denver, Colorado, or anywhere else on this Kali Yuga planet, if one invokes their mercy, they're actually existing in the same science of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And that's going to continue to be true. And if one doesn't, then it doesn't matter what else they have. This will remain an academic exercise. An interesting one, but not actually substantial. So I noted that yeah, Prabhupada basically... I mean, it's interesting because it looks like he just copy and pasted. It looks like kind of a... Materially speaking, it looks pretty unoriginal. But that's the point. He's not trying to supersede. He didn't see anything that Vishwana Chakrabarti Thakur did that was lacking. He didn't think, okay, now it's my job to actually be the next Acharya and show like the next thing. No, there is no next thing. We just take shelter of the, of the, of the Vaishnavas and whatever they say comes from Krishna. That's the next thing to say. But it's just coming through them. Whereas the modern idea is, uh, as, the, as the Mahabharata actually points out, do you know that verse, Prabhu? That uh, if, if, uh, if one doesn't have a disagreement with their previous philosophers and one is not a philosopher of their own? Yeah, right. That if, 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 one does, if one has their own take, that's the definition of a muni, a mental speculator. Which I think is Prabhupada just paraphrasing that verse in the Mahabharata. I think you know it. I've heard you say it in class one time. Right, it ends in Mahajanuriyanikatasapanta. Nasabashir Matam Hibhinnam? Yeah. yeah. Which is actually what Prabhupada's saying when he gives us the English that you can't be a Muni without having your own opinion. That's what the Mahabharata actually says in that verse. Uh, but it concludes that Mahajanuriyena um, Katasapanta, the real path is the path that is trodden by the previous Acharyas. That's how you actually get to truth. The material idea is that you go to school, you learn about things that were established by other teachers, and you have some period of like apprenticeship, but at the end of the day, if you don't have your own ideas, if you don't actually create something new, you're not worth giving tenure to, you're not worth hearing from. Uh, if you just, if you just um, have complete faith in the previous teachers of material science and you repeat them, you're actually no much better, not much better than a Wikipedia article. 
right? Because the idea is that with ascending knowledge, we don't have complete knowledge and no one else does. So we have to actually keep clawing and scrabbling our way up this steep mountainside to truth. So I have to get a handhold off of other people's work and I have to go one handhold further. And that's what makes me me. I'm the one who stood on the shoulders of everyone else and said this new thing. So you should pay attention to me until, so, until someone else climbs over my dead body and says the next thing. And it's quite vicious actually because you have to be in order to establish yourself in the material world, including having your reputation as an academic. It's, it's quite vicious. You have to climb over other people, your contemporaries and also your previous acharyas, so to speak. But the spiritual science is completely different. It's not a fault that Prabhupada copied and pasted the purport because he didn't copy and pasted it. It came directly out of his heart, but he saw no need to change the form. The form was already perfect. The science of how he's offering obeisances in this order is perfect. The fact that he's offering obeisances to his spiritual master first is perfect. He's laying out the structure of the fourth canto. Nothing, no need to change that. So Prabhupada, he saw, great, Vishwanath already did this for me. Now we can just copy his purport, because this is already what I'm feeling, and then move on. And, uh, and that's a glorious thing. He doesn't need to, the devotee doesn't need to, quote-unquote, be the man. They don't need to establish themselves as the leading personality on a topic, because they're not. Krishna is the leading personality. You know, Radharani has all the knowledge about Krishna. Mahabharu is giving it away. The devotees are the desire tree. I'm just like this tiny little ant on the edge of the tree, like trying to like exist by their mercy. And if I if I function that way, great. But I'm not I'm not the whole thing. And that knowledge is foremost all the time for the devotees, and it's a beautiful thing because one is therefore not limited by themselves. Otherwise, one has to face the hard limits of human reason, human intellect human lifespan, uh, human error. I mean, you could have the greatest book in the world, and uh, if, it's, if it's based on a system of just um, ascending knowledge, as soon as the great you know, philosopher Acharya dies, um, if their followers don't scribe their, their commentary down properly, <laughs> it's ruined for the rest of time. It's done. Unless you have another super genius appear, they have the same problems. But with the devotees, with devotional service, it doesn't matter how intelligent you are. It doesn't matter if there are errors. Interesting point. It doesn't matter as much if there are errors. It matters if you're faithful. It matters if you, you try your best and you follow the science that's given strictly. So we see that in the purport. And we also see it in um, Prabhupada's reference at the very end of the purport to the actual verse. Mostly he just talks about the acharyas and the fourth canto in general. Then at the end he says, okay, so we've heard about Devahuti. Now we're going to hear about Akuti. Why did we hear about Manu over all the other sons of Brahma? Brahma is the, the first created living being. There are so many sons. Um, and we're hearing about Manu because Svayambur Narada Shampu Kumara Kapilo Manu Kumara Kapilo Manu? No. Anyway, there's a list of the 12 Mahajans in the 6th canto. And Svayambhuvmanu is there. He's actually such a great devotee that he's on a short list with Narada Muni and Lord Shiva. And Prabhupada's basically saying that. That's why we're hearing about Manu instead of all these other children of Brahma, because he's actually a great devotee. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, uh, in the discussion between Lord Chaitanya and Ramananda Rai, uh, Mahaprabhu is... 
as we heard about from Tushita Krishna Prabhu the other day, this beautiful discussion, one thing that's happening there is Mahaprabhu is actually hearing from his own devotee to glorify them uh, about the truths of Bhagavad Dharma. And one of the things he does is he does this question and answer format where he asks the questions and his devotee answers it. We find this in Harinam Chintamani with Haridas Thakur as well, that Mahaprabhu asks him about the holy name and Haridas Thakur says, you, you know everything, but okay, since you're asking, I'll tell you about the holy name. So Ramananda Roy, same thing. He knows this is, this is Krishna. But Krishna is asking him about the spiritual science. So one of the, one of the questions he asks Ramananda Rai is, who is the most famous person? What is the principle of fame? And Ramananda Roy replies immediately, the most famous person is one who is a devotee of the Lord. Because their fame can't be taken away. This is real fame. He says the real education is to learn about Radha and Krishna. The real meditation is to think about their pastimes and so on and so forth. So we're hearing about Manu because he's a great devotee. Here we are in 2020 AD, we're hearing about these devotees, including this genealogy. Why? Because they're all related to Krishna, that's why. There are countless living entities. In fact, there are countless human beings. And we're only hearing about a very, very small number of them in the Bhagavatam. So I was thinking about this point when thinking about the phenomenon of genealogies in the Bhagavatam, because it can seem kind of tedious from a material point of view. Such and such person ruled for so many years, they had seven sons, four daughters, these were their names in Sanskrit. And then verses just like that for the next two and a half chapters sometimes in the ninth canto especially. Why? The reason is that the same principle that Prabhupada is showing in the purport actually. Shukadeva Goswami is showing us in the genealogy because there is absolutely no way he can go over the genealogy of humankind in, in, in toto or even in like a fraction of a part. What he's doing is he's taking shelter of devotees. Every single generation we're hearing about in the Bhagavatam in like tiny, tiny uh, zip files of one verse expands out to an entire lifetime, sometimes of thousands of years depending on the age, of great devotees worshipping with great faith the Supreme Personality of Godhead with powerful realizations that we have no idea about and Shukadeva Goswami doesn't have time to tell us. Each one of these verses contains great devotees in it. He's taking their obeisances to proceed further and proceed further and further and further. And that's why when we get to the ninth canto we see the, the most extensive list of genealogies because our acharyas explain when he gets to the ninth canto Shukadeva Goswami thinks it's been like four days already. <laughs> He's got three days left to live, <laughs> Pariksha Maharaj. He has to hear about Krishna. So he presses the fast forward button and he goes from eighth canto knowledge to the tenth canto and then if you graph it out, he passes through so many phases of time very, very quickly. He goes through many, many gene genealogies very quickly. So we have entire chapters of just genealogy. He's taking the, the permission of all these devotees to go forward and forward and forward and forward to approach the lotus feet of Krishna in Vrindavan, which is the point of the end of the ninth canto and the whole tenth canto, and ultimately of the Bhagavatam itself. But Bhagavatam doesn't just include the tenth canto. It includes everything else, and it includes this run-up to the tenth canto, which occurs in fits and starts, including here, one chapter of genealogy, and especially in the ninth canto. And it's characterized by this point that Shukadeva Goswami considers himself an instrument and he's saying, my dear such and such Maharaj, you're a great devotee, we're remembering you, please give us permission to move forward. That's his mood. That's why these verses are there. 
And I thought that if I actually had this realization, I would never get bored by these verses. I would never think, when are we going to get to the action? Even if I'm polite enough to like, tell myself to be quiet when I think that. I would never actually, that, that thought wouldn't cross my mind because this is such a powerful principle. Prabhupada's showing it in the purport. He's paying obeisances to Srila Bhakti Siddhanta with great care and attention. Bandamui Savadhana Mate and the previous Acharyas. He, he basically copied Vishwanath's entire purport. He's completely surrendered in that way and he's going to begin the fourth canto in that mood. So I was thinking what a great lesson that is for us because there are so many... Mm, there are so many natural division points in life. Varnashram system is based around that as well. Kind of taking advantage of the natural beginnings and endings to um, dovetail everything in Krishna's service. And Prabhupada is showing us, okay, we're starting a new canto. We're going to remind ourselves and everyone else that we're doing this under the power of the Guru Parampara. And this is the culture that we have. We have this great wealth, actually. His Holiness Suhodra Swami one time, he actually um, asked Srila Prabhupada a question that Srila Prabhupada, I think the context was Suhotra Swami, if it wasn't him, it was someone else on the library party. He was part of the library uh, party of distributing uh, Prabhupada's books, and especially Bhagavatam, um, in sets to professors around the United States. They would travel by van. And it was a very, very sweet uh, service. Prabhupada really appreciated it. And so either Maharaj or other of his, um, other devotees who he was working with, like, uh, Satsura Maharaj or the future Bhakti Tirtha Swami, also on the party, asked Prabhupada this question. And the question was, Prabhupada, uh, Srila Prabhupada, we're hearing uh, interest from the academics about Vedic uh, technology. They want, to, they want to hear about the Bhagavatam, they're taking your books. And one question they have is, what is Vedic technology? And Prabhupada's answer was to wrap his fist on the table. Vedic technology means Shri Guru Parampara. This is Vedic technology. And Sohoja Swami relates this years later. This is the technology. It's not, uh, it's not this. It's not this. Although we can use it. We do. But this is all in service to the Vedic technology. Shri Guru Parampara is the actual powerful technology. This lets us connect with people around this little planet. This lets us collect information and process it and distribute it. Guru Parampara allows us to connect with Krishna on every planet, through all phases of time, including all levels of knowledge we could not possibly even be begin to conceive of ourselves. Therefore, it's the most powerful microscope, the most powerful smartphone, the most powerful webcam, the most powerful audio system. It's, it is, as Prabhupada said, Vedic technology is Sri Guru Parampara. So that's the essence of what I wanted to talk about. It's 848. Um, I didn't even really get to talk about the structure of the fourth canto, but that's okay. It's just summarized very briefly. We'll get to it as we read the fourth canto. So we can take comments, questions, reflections on anything I said, anything that stood out. Yes. Hare Krishna. Just something simple that I thought was interesting, the purport going along with this point of being in the flow of Guru Parampara. Um, Prabhupada says in the second paragraph of the purport that Manu 
and the other progenitors of living entities, that they're working perpetually under the order of the Supreme Lord. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting how he uses the word perpetually because it just shows, again, that they're constantly under that order, that they're in that flow of mercy. That's how they're being empowered. Yeah. Which makes them more caring about. What's that? It makes, that's what makes them more caring about. That's, a, that's, what, yeah. that's what qualifies them to be uh, in the Bhagavatam. Thanks, Prabhu. I liked how you mentioned that um, the way Prabhupada had structured the purport was uh, like Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's commentaries. And so we see how Prabhupada is, like you're saying, uh, following Amparampara, utilizing their commentaries, and also about how we um, take shelter of the six Goswamis and then take shelter of uh, Radha and Govinda. So thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, um, I was going to say, right, so um, one of the interesting things about the specific contribution of Srila Prabhupada is that it revolves around these books so much. Um, he was and is divinely empowered, actually, to transmit this knowledge. Um, and it's, it remains intact through all kinds of translations. It remains intact through editing. It remains intact. Um, we distribute it on the streets. We, we talk about it to all kinds of people of different walks of life. And I was reflecting on, on, on that amazing contribution and I was thinking about what a, what a wonderful thing it is that Prabhupada is a humble servant of his previous acharyas because it means we get to taste them in these purports. Um, one may not know that this purport is, is really quite strictly following Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's purport. One may not actually read that commentary by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. And yet, if you read this one by Prabhupada, which you can get from the BBT, you can, anybody who reads the fourth canto has read this purport, you're actually tasting Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur through him. We're tasting... A long list, actually, of, of uh, quoted acharyas. What to speak of others that are not directly quoted uh, from Srila Prabhupada? That it's a, it's a it's a pure um, it's a pure mirror. It's a pure window to, to the next level of next line lineage of, of acharyas, and that that's what contributes to the, the wonderful rasa that's in these purports and commentaries. That there's so much um, tasty realization, and it's coming because the devotees down the line are actually contributing. So it's just like. You, you cook something for Radha Govinda, right? And it's not that you cook something for Radha Govinda and then you, you actually are the person who's offering it to them. What actually happens is you offer it to your spiritual master who offers it to their spiritual master. And they offer it all the way up to Krishna who receives it from Radharani. And all the way along the way, people, devotees can add something to the offering, right? And there's a flavor that Krishna is receiving from all that devotion. And then it comes back down and we're getting the flavor of their remnants. Just like in the Poga Arti, after the description of Krishna eating so many wonderful preparations, Radharani takes his remnants. And then her, Sakis, take her remnants. 
And Bhakti Thakur is praying to actually have this realization. He's glorifying these pastimes. And this is the whole point. The flavor is passing, coming all the way down through the devotees. So these purports are actually, because Prabhupada is surrendered to Vishwanath, we get to taste Vishwanath. We're never going to meet Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in the flesh. That's not going to happen. But through the Vedic technology, we, we actually get to be with him in these purports. That's an amazing thing. So thank you, Manajar, for pointing out that amazing quality. Thank you, Prabhu. I was appreciating your explanation, the genealogy involved and the Guru Parampara and the flavor of all added. Um, I actually had a, a small realization a few years ago. I was reading Bhakti Ratnakar and Prema Vilas, Narutam Vilas, and uh, there were quite often there was a list of names, like like a chunk of names. And such and such, and his wife was such and such, and had two daughters, and they live in this village, and 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 it was kind of arduous to go through, you know, every time it was like pages of that. And uh, then it occurred to me, this is our family, and you know, it's like all of a sudden you you get a letter saying, oh, by the way, uh, we discovered a branch of your family that you didn't hear about before, you know, you have a weird uncle here living in a, you know, in a cave and you have someone else and this is your, these are your cousins and so on. So I actually started looking at it in a different light that this is, we may have a family all by being born in a particular body in a particular place, but this is our real family. We're actually getting to meet them, you know, through the, through the works of the Acharyas. Thank you for a really nice class, Prabhu. Uh, in my daily reading, I'm on Canto 4, Chapter 3 now. And uh, it's interesting, like, going, saying how fourth canto starts, I, I, I forgot a lot about first chapter, fourth canto, because we have the whole pastime of Atri Muni and... Um, you know, calling out, but it's like an impersonal way. So Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu come. But there's, a, a, you know, throughout these daughters and different personalities, we hear about Yagya, Dattatreya, so many incarnations of the Lord just in the first chapter. And I, I totally kind of like spaced all of those pastimes out. And um, I was thinking about how you mentioned about flavor and different acharyas bringing different flavor reading Srila Prabhupada's purports together with Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's commentary, especially in like the Shiva Daksha pastime. It's interesting how Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, he'll give like a little, you know, like maybe like a small paragraph and Srila Prabhupada will have like a whole page. And so it's also interesting to point out how Srila Prabhupada knew that he was preaching for a Western audience having to explain so many different things. But I thought, uh, I was just thinking also, maybe you could talk a little bit about more how Acharyas have different flavors, because we see Madhavendra Puri in Madhvacharya Sampradaya, but then he, Ayidini Dayadranatehe, brings out a different flavor. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur bringing out a different flavor from Jiva Goswami, 
Jiva, especially in different commentaries, Jiva Goswami stressing Svakiya, Vishwanath Chakravartitakur stressing Parakiya. So it does seem like there's that following of Acharyas, but then there's still that bringing out your own flavor. So how, did, how do we do that in a bona fide way where we're not Maryada Vyatikrama, we're not trans, you know, like stepping over the Acharyas? How do we bring out our own flavor? Yeah, it's it's that's a great question. So my my understanding, the in my opinion, since you're asking my opinion, I don't have any hard shastra on this, but it, it appears to be the the science of how one takes shelter in Guru Parampara, is that it's um, as the purport shows today, we begin with the most recent link to the Guru Parampara, our own spiritual masters, and uh, we don't see them through the lens of the previous acharyas, you see the previous acharyas through the lens of our current spiritual master. Because as you pointed out, every generation, every time, place, and circumstance provides its own context to things. So Arvata Mahaprabhu was talking about this as well, that our preaching must be adaptive. It has to be. That's the eternal science of Krishna consciousness. The goal is the same. To make other people realize that goal requires actually knowing where they are as well as where they're going. Otherwise you can't draw them a map. So to do that, we take shelter of what's around us, our, our own local flavor, our gurus. And in my opinion, Srila Prabhupada is remarkably empowered at presenting this eternal science for people in the 20th, 21st, and in general, Kali Yuga period. And um, that means that he actually is addressing the considerations that we need to have addressed. He actually understands the hang-ups that we have. Right? So, sometimes when devotees study the previous acharyas, they'll, uh, they'll see differences, right? Differences of approach, differences of mood, differences of flavor, and they become bewildered by this. Sometimes that'll, in, their own, in, in a neophyte mind, that can allow people to be like, well, this acharya is more right than that one, or I like this one's mood, but I don't like this one's mood so much. That's a materialistic perspective. The point is, what is the context? Why are they doing it like that? Is it... Um, anyway, that's a whole discussion, but in my, in my opinion, and in the opinion of, of my own gurus, Srila Prabhupada, what he's bringing to the table, which makes his own, for example, a unique contribution is really important to us, is that he's addressing the impersonalism. He's addressing the, the, the kind of relationship we have with matter in this weird century and millennium that he knows we have. And he's addressing that in a really honest way. Jiva Goswami knows that too. Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur knows that too. But they have missions. Jiva Goswami had to actually uh, systematically summarize the philosophy of Krishna consciousness in the first generation after the six Goswamis. That takes a very specific approach. He wrote the Sandarbhas because of that. No one else has done that in our line. Baladevidya Bhushana, certain approach. Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, certain approach. There's a historical context. There's a mission-based context. What is the mission they receive from their spiritual master? Prabhupada said, Bhakti Thakur could have delivered the whole world, but he left some service for us out of his mercy. So, what, was, what is Prabhupada's mission? And in understanding that, when we approach Prabhupada in that mood, then we can see, okay, um, he said all these things, I internalize that, I read the Bhagavatam a few times, then I go back and look at Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, and I see, okay, now Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur is saying a lot of the same things, 
But here's some differences. He's focusing on Rasa in this way. And I can see that Prabhupada actually focused on these things. So what does that mean for me? It means for me that when I see Prabhupada is consistently focusing on certain things, that means I need to know about that. It's, it's nice to know about what Vishwanath Chakravataka focused on 400 years ago, 300 years ago. That's valuable. But only in the context of first appreciating what Prabhupada wants me to know right now, in 2020, with my Kali Yuga body and mind. Because then I'm not, I can actually have some empowerment, some purity to approach Vishwanath and Baladev and Jiva Goswami and Rupa Goswami. And not so much the other way around, actually, uh, necessarily. Um, that's chastity, and that's practical too. Because Prabhupada has already digested all of those acharyas. He knows them better than I ever will. And he's saying, I want you to approach them, but first digest what I've given you. This is one thing he actually said in, in, a, in, a, in a walk. One devotee said, um, Prabhupada, um, some devotees are reading books of the previous acharyas, and other devotees are saying that they shouldn't read these books. And Prabhupada said, who has said they shouldn't read these books? I have not said. I have said you must read these books. But first, you should digest what I've given you. First, you should take what is already, I'm, I'm paraphrasing them now, take what is already on your plate and, and eat that and digest it. And then try to go back to the buffet table, right? <laughs> There's so much there. But I've already, like, like a mother bird, digest the food, you know? The little, see little chicklings? Like at this time of year, they're just sitting there in the nest. They can't really digest properly. Mother goes and eats the worm, <laughs> digests it, regurgitates it back for the child. The child has a pre-digested little slurpee. Perfect. So we, if we think, I'm going to fly out of the nest and eat it, you know, this worm myself, because I heard that a great bird did that once, you know, grow some wings first. Take what's already been given to you. Um, took a lot of care to get that worm. Prabhupada put, put a lot of work into these purports. And the more I study Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, the more I appreciate what Prabhupada did and is doing. Um, and then I feel inspired and also practically empowered to actually approach Vishnu. Otherwise, it's sentimental. It's like, yeah, he's cool. He's a great Acharya. He did all these things. Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur Ki Jai. But if I don't understand what it's like to actually take the Bhagavad Dharma and translate it into English language 2020, United States, Kali Yuga, and apply that in my life. It's just brain candy. Um, so that's, that's my take. 903, any more? Nectar. Okay. Thank you so much for your attentive ears. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Sri Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakti Vrindha Ki Jai, Vancha Kalpa Tarupya Shtra, Kripasa Tupi Eva Chapati Thanam, Pavani Pio Vaishnavi Pio Namo Namaha.